In 1842, a group of Christians from the Okmulgee Baptist Church saw a need for a new community of believers to work in a fledgling city that had only been around about 21 years called Selma, Alabama. So they did what cutting-edge technology led them to do then. Guess how this, this church got its first group of folks together? They ran an ad in the paper. And enough people responded to it that they gathered together, and this church began. Uh, those of you that don't know it, our original name was the Selma Baptist Church of Christ. And now we say doing business as First Baptist Church of Selma. We were the First Baptist Church here. And because of the work that we've done, we didn't only work alongside others here, but we helped shape what Selma became over the years. We've seen good times and bad. We've been here during the boom times, and we were there when Selma became a wilderness. But we're not gone, neither Selma. And the work that we do is so important. And what I'd like to do this morning for a little while is to take a journey of retrospection, self-inspection, and also of refinement. How we can focus fully and totally on what God has called us to do because we have a purpose here in this city. That purpose has not been completed. It certainly hasn't been eliminated. And it hasn't been taken away from us. We still have a reason to be a part of this community in which we are, fa are found. We were in the beginning of community church. This church started just a few blocks from here. And we continue to do the work. We survive storms and wars. But we go on. And if we're to reclaim and continue with the vision that God has given us, and that he offered to the founders of this church, we're to be a change agent here in Selma. Now, I entitled this sermon, We Need a New Bridge, and I had someone yesterday e evening send me an, an email and they had read online the sermon title, and they said, I agree with you, preacher. It's rusting down and about to fall in. They were supposed to replace it 40 years ago. And I had to email back and say, I'm not talking, preaching on the set, uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge today. I know we need a new bridge there. It's old, and it's rusty, and all these folks walk across it, and one of these days is going to collapse if they don't do something with it. But the reality is I'm not talking about a physical bridge. I'm talking about an emotional and spiritual bridge. To meet the needs of the people that are here. God placed us here for a purpose and a reason. And although Selma has changed demographically in many ways, our mission has not changed. So I want to think this morning about what we are to do and what's important for us to do in the future. Because God has not only left us here, He's blessed us here. And He's met many needs through us. We've created community here, and we've seen generations of that community in so many ways here. Some years ago, I was at Cedar Hill up at the apartments in, on the hill talking to one of our very precious members, and Sis Allen shared with me that day in her room as she was under hospice care about to pass. I said, Sis, I've, I've talked to you many times. I've eaten pizza with you about a half dozen times here in your apartment, but you, you've never told me a lot about your family. I know about Dr. Allen's family, but I don't know about your family. And she told me, she said, well, 
I was a Burns. And I said, well, like Burnsville Burns? She said, yes, that was my family. And I said, well, were Lucy and James Burns, by the way, these two middle uh, stained glass windows were put in their memory in our first church. I said, were they related to you? She said, yes, that was, that was my great-grandparents. I said, wow. And I was sitting there and I said, I didn't realize that I'm talking to one of the founding members of this church family. Wow. I was amazed at that, that we still had a link all the way back to the beginning of the church. But we have many links. Many of you, your family either worshipped in this church or in a church that First Baptist founded. And because of that, our linkage connects us not only to the past, but to the future. So I want to think for a little while about what God wants us to do and why community is such an important word to us today. First, I want to point out to you this. Community is, bu uh, is built by bearing one another's burdens. It's built by relationships. And as we build those relationships, you not only build a relationship, but you tend a relationship. You take care of a relationship. And it's important for us to understand that. You don't simply encounter somebody and, and get to know them and walk away. They're there for a purpose and a reason. And it's amazing how in, in, in a small town like Selma, we can be apart. Yet when we need one another, they're there in such an important way. It makes me feel good that I have family that are church members, that have become my family because they're a part of the community of faith. One of the people I've always been impressed with here in Selma, and he's not a member of our church, in fact, he's preaching on the other side of town right now, is Reverend Daniel Martin. What a godly man. What an amazing man that after losing his precious wife, who we all love dearly, and she was such a part of his ministry and his life, Rather than pulling away from things and hiding and going into seclusion, he moved out and, and literally retooled himself for a new ministry, not just to his congregation, but to the whole community. If you don't know Daniel Martin, it's easy to spot him in Selma. He's the man dragging around that huge cross. He stops and he speaks to people and talks to them, prays with them. He shares with them, and he, and he listens to them, even in their anger sometimes in their frustration. Some people curse him and yell at him and tell him to go away and get out of their neighborhood. But he prays for them and he blesses them. He might encounter 30 people on a walk, and half may love him and half may ignore him. But he continues to go because he has learned the importance of community. And he realizes that the time is short that we reach people for Christ. He reminds us that, that community is not about culture or skin color, education, socioeconomic position, or political standing. None of those things matter. It's the fact that we are made in the image of God. and He reaches out to them and gives them hope. I want to remind you of this, and I, I've learned it uh, lately in a very realistic way. Just because a building has stained glass windows and a steeple and has pews and, and a pulpit does not mean it's a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches are maligned and misused. They're abused and overlooked. 
I pray that this church will always stay on the mark for Christ Jesus, that we will divide God's word correctly, that we will not try to placate those who would draw us away from what God has called us to do. I've never worried about being popular in the sense of popular in a community. I've never worried about what people would say about the church because I believe what Christ knows about the church is more important than what people will say about it. I believe that we are called to make a difference, but before we can make a difference, we must change. And that's why I believe community is so important. We have to bear one another's burdens. We have to realize that, that there are problems in the world that we live in. There are frustrations and anxieties. But we can help. I can't change everybody's life, but I can change somebody's life. My mother and, and her first husband, he died back in 1948, had an unusual friendship. I found a picture, in fact, two pictures one day in, a, in an old Nunley Candies box that my mother kept all of her brownie uh, uh, pictures in. And I was going through it, and one of them was of a crashed airplane. Now, I don't know what they had that picture for because, number one, they, they never could fly uh, a plane and they never owned a plane. But it was my mother's first husband's good friend that had crashed. He was a test pilot. And he crashed that plane way back before World War II started. He crashed at Mar, Georgia, not far from where we lived. And I looked at it and I said, Mom, who, who was he? And I about fell over when she told me that his, she said his name was Edward Rickenbacker. I said, Mama, Eddie Rickenbacker was a hero. He founded Eastern Airlines. He's one of the greatest test pilots that ever lived. He crashed, I think, seven or eight times. And she said, yes. She said he was kind of a funny guy. She said, we heard from one of the policemen he had crashed, and we rode down, and I took my camera and made some pictures, and we talked to him. Eddie Rickenbacker was a great man. He impacted and influenced a lot of people in his life. I've read no less than four books about him. But my favorite story about Eddie Rickenbacker was that as an old man, he retired and lived down near Cape Kennedy in Florida, lived on the beach, and he would walk down the beach every morning very early. And he would go along, and if he would see a starfish, and he had some affinity for starfish, he would grab them and throw them back out in the water. And he would continue to do this. And a young couple were following him one morning and noticed what he was doing. And they said, sir, why are you doing that? They didn't know who he was. He says, well, he said, I want them to live. They're too beautiful to die. And I throw them back out there and, and I want to make a difference in their life. And the young boy very sourly said to him, he said, well, what good does that do? He said, Millions of those go on shore every day, and, and they're going to die. You can't make a difference in all of them. And as he bent over and threw that one out, he said, I made a difference in that one. Eddie Rickenbacker was an amazing guy. And he understood he couldn't do everything. But where he stood, he did something. And God wants us to be people who can make a difference in somebody's life. That's what we're called to do. That's what God demands of us. But secondly, community is built by utilizing our skills and our gifts. 
to serve others. Now, that doesn't mean that we use our highest and most accomplished skills. God may have given you a spiritual gift in an area that, that you didn't realize and you need to, and you must use that. God may call you to do something simplistic. I can remember some years ago when we had Jesus Day and we had moved it over to GWC Homes in front of Brown Chapel Church. Remember that, Dr. Chittam? I remember the hottest day in Selma. We were over there cooking hamburgers. Harold, I know you remember it because I look at Harold and the only person that was really more exhausted than Harold leaning over that uh, was Gene Middlebrooks. In fact, Gene had a heart event that day. We're not sure what happened to him, but that was the beginning of some tough times for him. But you know what he did? He sat down, then he got up, and he finished what he'd started. Several men in our church were, were cooking hamburgers and hot dogs for hundreds of people. And that was the day that I realized how we could make a difference in this community. Some of the men of, of Brown Chapel Church came over, and one of them told me, he said, I'm almost embarrassed that we only have a handful of men, and you've got all these men working here. And I remember telling him, Deacon, our goal is to see your church with a lot of men in here working because you bore the burden when there was no one else. It requires that we do that. It made me proud of our church because we did a work that was mighty. Not that year, but the next year when we were there, we set up a stage in front of the steps, and we unloaded, I think I took 200 chairs over there, and we, we had unloaded them Well, when everything was over with, folks were leaving, and one man in our church here helped me load those chairs back up. And he had come really almost by accident. He said, I just happened to have some time free, and I decided to come on over. We were folding the chairs up and loading them, you know, on the trailer. An old boy came up who lived in, in GWC Homes who was not over about four or five years old, and he was grabbing those chairs and folding them and handing them to us, and, and I, was, I was just thrilled that he was helping us. And the, and the man from our church that was beside me helping us do that walked over to the little boy when we were finished and he handed him $5 and said, I want to pay you for doing this. He said, no, sir, you don't need to pay me. I, I did it because I wanted to. And he said, he looked at him, he said, doesn't your dad pay you when you do things? And that little boy looked him right in the eye and he said, mister, I don't have a dad. And he put the money in his pocket and he said, thank you for helping us. The little boy walked away and the man sat on the ground and wept. I think he figured out immediately why community matters. Because we can meet needs far beyond what we imagine. We can help change lives. But we've got to get out and do it. We've got to get outside our comfort zone, which usually involves a widescreen TV and a large sofa. We've got to get up and say, I will do this because I am the hands and feet of Jesus. The word serve matters. God's called us to serve. I believe with all my heart that you can't complain about a situation unless you're willing to change the situation. 
And we've got a lot of people that will prognosticate about how Selma got into the condition it's in. And we blame things from economic to, to political. But the reality is Selma's problem is the same problem every other city has. It's called sin. And Jesus is the only one that can change it. And we've got to be willing to make a difference. I don't want anybody in this church to ever end up in heaven and have Jesus say, you know, I, I had you there for a great work, but you refused to do it. I want you to know what that work is. We must make a difference. We must change lives. Our world is addicted to instant gratification. Did you know that? They get hungry, they want to go into the kitchen and get something that they can put in the microwave and in three and a half minutes it's done. They want to be able to get what they want and have the benefit of it right away. Uh, they're so impatient. Remember, remember back when you used to wait for shows to come on? I loved a show called The Honeymooners growing up. And we would sit and turn the TV on and off looking when it would come on because we simply didn't want to watch everything on there. Surprise, surprise, it's a different world today, isn't it? Now we, we not only won't wait for something to come on, we want to be able to get it immediately, and we want to turn it off when we're tired of it and then turn it back on and watch it again. I know, I've got Netflix also. We're an instant gratification society. And God doesn't work that way. Sometimes the angel stands by the pool and stirs it as the spirit moves the angel. And people have to wait for God to work. Because sometimes in the waiting, we grow and we understand what is really important. God wants us to be a part of his work in this world. We don't want to simply absorb and never give out. We don't want to be just consumers and not producers. Spiritually speaking, you're given a lot. You're given the Holy Spirit of God. All power, Jesus said, is given unto Him, and He's given it unto you through the Holy Spirit. Are you using that power? Are you making a difference? Because one day when you get to heaven, that's what will be asked of you. Self-righteous service is always concerned with results. But that's not how God works. True service is free of that. You don't worry about the results of it. I've had some, some precious friends over the years that have worked for companies that put a GPS on top of their truck, and they monitored not only how many stops they took, but how many times they stopped, how many times they sat in a place, how many times they moved, and they absolutely intimidated the dickens out of that person. They couldn't focus on the work they were doing for fear that somebody somewhere in a computer room would get upset with the way their movements go. True service to Christ is free of that. You know, and, and, and I don't mean to be rude to anybody that believes that results matter and everything. They don't. God judges us based upon not our results, but our faithfulness. Are we here to serve Him? I posted a little something on Facebook that, that got some people's attention. <coughs> but I meant for it to. 
because the more you stay out of church and miss church, the more you don't miss church. Because there's a great Latin word called habitus, which means habitual. And it indicates in its definition that there are certain things you have to do in a repetitive way to make it a habit that you need. You can come to church all your life, every time the door is open, yet something can come along dogmatic and, and, and frightening, like the coronavirus, and can scare you away from church. I want to tell you something. I think one of the most important things that you do during your week is assembling together to worship. You can't do that in front of a television or in front of a computer screen fully because you can't interact. And the interactions of encouragement and faith that we have here matter so much so that many people don't understand that. The fellowship of the believers is great. I heard something this morning that absolutely thrilled me. I walked by the Mavericks class and it was so noisy in there. And I thought, thank you, Lord, hallelujah, we're getting back to normal. What a blessing. I guarantee you that Bill Mott in heaven is laughing because he heard that noise. That's what it's about. That class was started to get men in church that wouldn't come. And I prayed that God would put his mighty hand down and not allow this pandemic to upset our worship and our gathering together. That is too important. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom it will serve, but the service of Christ does not choose. It reaches out to everyone. Richard Foster said that. He said, many people reach out to those who they can help that will benefit them back. But the service of Christ does not look for anything in response because we're freely giving, giving what we've been freely given. And that's so important. But lastly, I want you to realize this. To be like Christ, we must bear one another's burdens. There's no way around it. You might do something as simple as sit by someone who's gone through a very tough time or sadness. It's not the words you speak. It's not what you bring with you. Now, of course, everybody knows a casserole is supposed to show up if there's something bad happening, right? And it better be a good one with a little cheese on top. But the reality is that's our way as Southerners to express our love for someone because we feel sometimes helpless, yet we're not. Because the communication of love to someone truly will make a difference. Christ bore a burden that was not his. It was ours. Our sin took Jesus to the cross. Our sin held him on that cross. Our sin caused him to go into that tomb. But his love for us brought him out of it. And that gives us power to do more. Jesus didn't just die on the cross so that we could have a nice life. Oh, dear friend, he died on the cross so we would change other people's lives as he has changed ours. That is so important.
When we bear the burdens of our community, we are following the example of our Lord. That's what he's always done. Jesus never looked at anyone and said, I keep helping you and helping you, and you don't seem to want to stand on your own two feet. He never says that, especially to us. He continues to reach down, and, and, and that's got a very simple name. It's called grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, unmerited favor, giving us something that we couldn't earn. And He loves us, and He demonstrates that to us, and we must demonstrate that to others. We may be the only love that some people ever feel. A lot of sadness goes on in this world. People have forgotten about the importance of a family unit. There's a reason why God created a family with a mom and a dad at the helm to lead a family. They make a difference. And God wants us to understand that the family is what God created. When you listen to what's going on today in America, I hope you understand that they're not coming up with their most effective, cutting-edge scientific ideas about how to produce a community. Not at all. Please don't be deceived by that. Everything they're doing is to rebuke, attack, or destroy what God has laid out. See, I asked a question years ago, and I've never gotten an honest answer from an atheist about this, but if you're an atheist, why aren't you the happiest person on earth? Because if you believe there isn't a God, just go on about your life and do whatever you want to. But atheists are generally very angry people. Because I don't believe their problem is that they don't believe in God. I, I believe they know that God expects something of them, and they are in rebellion against God. Much of what's happening in our world today is rebellion against Him. It's destroying what He has established. It's attacking His standards. And yet the only way to live effectively, efficiently, and happily is by His law. We need to look at ourselves this morning as a community called First Baptist Church. We need to think about how we can more effectively touch this this community. Over the last few weeks, I've seen literally miles of cars lined up to pick up a little box of food, a little water. God help us, toilet paper at one time. They'll wait on that patiently. But I, I want to teach this community that, that there's someone you need to wait on, and that's Christ. Put down your iPhone and don't worry about your social messaging. Find out what Christ wants you to do. Because we truly need to get back in line with His truth that will transition all of us to a bright and beautiful place. I'm amazed at some of the, the people in the neighborhoods here in town that, that are, are going through tough times and I'll talk to them and when they talk about faith, you know what they always refer back to? Their grandparents. They say, I remember hearing my grandmother pray for me. One man told me one day in a store, and I was buying some, I was buying some shells, and he was buying a gun. And he says, I remember as a little boy, my grandmother would get on her knees, and he said, she wasn't a small woman. And he said, I, I, I wasn't around when she tried to get up, but she'd get on her knees every night and pray for all of us. 
And he says, I credit her prayers with the fact that I didn't end up in jail or the grave. And he was an older man. He said, her prayers made the difference. And I asked him this question. I said, tell me where you go to church. And he said, well, he said, I've really not found the right church. A lot of us know what we should do, but we don't do it. You know, Scripture has a definition for sin, very simple definition. It's not complicated. You know what it is? It says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That means if you know what is right and you don't do it, you're sinning. It's important for us to understand that. I pray that God will call you to make a difference in this community, even now. People are afraid. Behind that mask that they wear, there's a lot of fear. They don't know what the future holds. And they're wondering what will happen. Someone needs to tell them, don't worry. It's not your concern about the future because God holds the future in his hands. And he holds you in his hands. And he loves you. That's the bridge we need to build. And we need to be busy about it, one person at a time. If every individual in this room would commit to building a relationship with one person in Selma that has no one to direct them to Jesus, I promise you the difference would be felt in this city in a year. But it requires your commitment. We're not going to supervise you. We're not going to tell you what to do. You have to choose to do that. I remember when we had that first uh, Jesus Day over at um, GWC Homes. I had said on Sunday morning here, right after the service, and I kind of made this statement very plain. I said, I pray that when you get home after you finish your lunch, because I think we're meeting at 2 o'clock back then, Dr. Chittam, I said, I pray that you will get a holy discontent, even a stomach problem, when you sit in your recliner and don't get up and come over and join us at Jesus' day. And I'll never forget a fellow from out in, uh, near uh, um, Sardis. He comes walking in, and I looked, I said, have you ever been here before? He said, no. He looked and he said, preacher, don't ever bring anything like that up at the end of the service. He said, I sat back and he said, my conscience said, get up and I'm here. And I believe that's the first and only time he ever showed up, but he showed up. Make that commitment. Because you know what? It's not what, what I can make you do. It's what you must choose to do. The Holy Spirit is calling Will you answer? Let us pray. Holy Father, I thank you so much that you call us to be change agents in this world. We are to be bridge builders. We are to reach out to the least of these. We are to see to it that people know who Christ is and that they're changed by him, by the example that we give. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us this morning of the importance of being that person. Lord, we've got plenty of bridges in Dallas County, but 
we have a bridge we must build, the bridge to hope and help. Father, speak to someone this morning who within their heart of hearts, they feel the calling of the Holy Spirit for them to be obedient. Some are being called to join this church. Others are being called simply to come forward and be baptized. Some are just seeking, and they need to come forward and pray. But we know your Spirit will speak plainly and efficiently if we will listen. And I pray that during this invitation, someone will listen, and someone will come forward, and someone will be obedient. Because that is so important. That is the first step of having the Spirit of God respond in a great way to us. And I pray that it will happen even this morning. For it's in your holy name I do pray. Amen.